0: Ready to go. Welcome back to the Keen Lake Podcast, the premier whiskey podcast now at the mention of whiskey in its title. Hey, this is Jake coming live from Chicago, Illinois. We are back on the dangerous streets of Lakeview after taking a few trips out to other streets of uh, the western suburbs of Chicago to fend for our lives as all the robberies keep leading to more and more I don't know crimes if you will Brett Bauer if you uh, welcome back to the podcast
1: thanks good to be back yeah I'm glad you're safe appreciate it yeah and thanks for not calling me when you were in the western suburbs
0: um you know it was already a jam packed studio at the uh, Malloy's Glen Ellen location
1: that's fine I was busy that day anyway what were you doing I don't know yeah. if you would have asked, I would have just been busy
0: making deals Kissing, like kissing babies
1: coaching little league traveling nice. selling whiskey i don't know
0: well i'm glad that you are in my house once again in my basement survived the staircase
1: yeah I'm, i've i'm not gonna make it every time i can tell you that much
0: one day i will fall <laughs> if i haven't I can't you haven't yet i have a little bit but um i've survived to tell about it um but yeah i'm glad that you are here and i'm glad you brought a friend with you
1: thank you thanks hey. for having me i'll
0: let you introduce him too
1: sure uh with us all the way from Baltimore what? is Ted Wolf, um, I just, uh, distiller. Correct. That? Yep. Distiller extraordinaire. I didn't know if there was anything more to <laughs> distiller. I didn't really Still waiting on, on that extraordinaire
0: title. Segamore right. distiller. How yes. about that? Yeah.
1: Sagamore spirit. Distiller, I think I pronounced your name right. Correct. Right. Yeah, thanks. I thanks
2: don't know how
0: many me. times Sagamore has been on the podcast, but this is the first time we've got to interview somebody from the distillery, so very really? exciting. Yeah. we cool. uh, Brian was on, I don't know, how many times? Three or four times, probably.
1: On, yeah, at least twice. Uncle yeah. Chad was on once. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Gosh, I forgot all about that. We had a lot of mic problems that day. Yeah, it was at Beguile. Oh. oh, man. We're going back to Beguile. Nice. Uh, allegedly. We'll see. Kevin Carey, call me. Um, yeah, you and Jess have been on a couple of times yeah, yeah. each, so Yeah. Exciting to have uh, somebody
2: actually knows distillation.
1: A yeah. lot <laughs> more than me. <laughs>
2: uh, Ted, how did you get started with Sagamore? Um, yeah, I started with Sagamore over the pandemic. Um, oh. Big career change, kind of like a lot of people did over um, the pandemic. Before that, I was working in the environmental field, um, doing particularly stormwater restoration. Um, in Baltimore, it's really important. We have the Chesapeake Bay, and yeah. there's a lot of energy and uh, momentum behind restoring the bay and keeping it clean. So did that for 10 years, but I've been a whiskey enthusiast for longer than that. And eventually, you know, I decided it was time to really pursue my passion. So nice. started Sagamore part-time, uh, transitioned to full-time, and made it onto the stealing team, which was ultimately the goal. Very so. cool. Did you just quit your job outright and just Pretty start? Much. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I love to hear those stories, <laughs> like over COVID, of people doing that, where you're like, all right, I found myself in this position where I'm not super happy about what I'm doing. Why not take a swing right now where we can all reset? Or we're in a reset, I should say. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's amazing.
2: Yeah, definitely jumped on that, and I'm glad I did.
0: What was the first, your first kind of like intro or like passionate route into whiskey?
2: Oh, man, going back to probably 2012, um, I didn't really drink anything in college. I kind of missed that phase in yeah. my life, and I joined Peace Corps right out of college. Oh, wow. wow. And I went down to Paraguay, and I lived there for three years, and oddly enough, I discovered whiskey in Paraguay, where they don't make whiskey. Yeah. Um, they make really... Really uh, low-quality rum, but, I mean, it <laughs> serves, its, serves its purpose. Uh, but, yeah, I found whiskey there, uh, scotch, of all things. Okay. Got into scotch blends. first. Single malts. Yep. And, yeah, yep. blends first, and yep. then into single malts like most. Um, and then I found a bottle of Elijah Craig 12 in the capital. And that was kind of my intro into American whiskey. Um, and it was just kind of down the rabbit hole from there. Interesting. You probably know how it
0: is. What were you doing uh, down in Paraguay?
2: I was an agricultural extensionist. So I was working in a really rural community. We had about 200 folks. We were about two hours from any paved road. No, wow. no running water. No stable electricity. Um, a lot of farmers. So did a lot of seed saving. A lot of conservation there with trees. Um, they were for deharvesting a lot of their trees and just deforesting everything. So, um, a lot of really cool people I met. Uh, changed my entire life perspective, um, <laughs> and introduced me to whiskey, which I didn't expect. <laughs> yeah, it's a really
0: odd place to get an introduction into, yeah. especially in American whiskey. <laughs> oh, yeah, <down> yeah. <laughs> like, Scotch you get, because like, the imports, or the mm-hmm. exportation of it's so so vast, especially with the blended malts. Correct. Um, we have a, a friend of the show, he's no longer a co-host of the show, <laughs> that used to work for Pernod. Um, okay. So yeah, he was always, ta- he used to live down in... Dominican, yeah. uh, selling the blended malts and abalour that kind of stuff down nice. there. Yeah, he always talks about how it's so extensive in se- Central and South America, which you wouldn't really expect. If you're any bumps in the background, people, it's because Lola is with us today. and She is bumping into glassware and bottles, so you know the usual, right, Brett? Yep. You yep. know, Brett's just playing tangling along with
2: her,
1: I'm trying to keep her entertained. What did you study in college?
2: I studied astrophysics. Really? Yeah. So uh, I, <laughs> I had a big decision after college. Like, right. Am I going to go to grad school? study for six more years get a phd or am i going to go do something different and fun and i started working on farms in college okay. in the summer that's kind of what got me to the agricultural side and seed saving really kind of sparked an interest in me uh, hand pollinating conserving heirloom varieties of seeds tomatoes yeah. peppers eggplant stuff um, so i got deep into that in college and by the time i decided i wanted to join peace corps it was senior year i didn't want to change my major senior yeah. year so i was like all right i'll get this degree in astrophysics and probably mm. not use it is Chemistry there, is helpful though. Yeah, I was gonna, <laughs> these days.
0: Is, is there a natural transition from agriculture from astrophysics to agric- agriculture?
2: Um, not really. Or a crossover, I guess. Uh, not that I saw. There was I didn't share any classes with anyone. Okay. <laughs> and then when I started taking ag uh, horticulture classes, so it wasn't too much of an overlap. Yeah, it was just a very, very different tangent <laughs> I went on. It's nice that the
0: the intelligent people of the whiskey world are like actually making the whiskey. So many engineers obviously come from some sort of background in engineering, then transition over to distillation. Whereas like Brett and I, I mean, I didn't finish college. Just so my parents know they thought I did. Let the let the let the secret out. I guess <laughs> <laughs> I was I was three credits short. <laughs> oh man, You're never too late. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. They they let me walk, but I decided not to. and Moved to Santa Fe and worked in an art gallery that i knew yeah. yeah so well you know That's awesome. yeah Some i guess so i don't know if it's really awesome it's kind of cool though. it's something yeah. i think astrophysics moving to paraguay working for the peace corps sounds more interesting than my life what do you think brett
1: it's pretty interesting yeah <laughs> i know i'm calling if we're going to start distilling on the moon yeah
0: do you ever think back to
2: astrophysics and apply it to what you're doing now applying it Probably not so much. It was so abstract. That was one of the reasons why I kind of moved away from astrophysics. Right. It's, it's all up in space. You know, it's it's very intangible. Mm-hmm. It's something that's completely unrelated to our world. And most people don't feel the effects of astrophysics discoveries, like timing quasars and stuff like that. It's just, right. it's, it's advancing science, which is all great, but I want to do something more tangible. And that's why I kind of transitioned over to volunteering, agriculture, working with uh, rural communities and sustainable farming. I never knew astrophysics was so entrenched in philosophy until I was
0: in a, mm-hmm. in philosophy classes. I'm not sure why I was in those in college, but I'm trying to f- feel smart, wearing a sweater <laughs> like this. Um, and then there was—I remember I was in some. I can't remember what the class actually was, but there was two or three astrophysics majors uh, in that class as a minor in philosophy. Oh, cool! Yeah, and we started talking about like Marxism and the crossover mm-hmm. of that, and then like the Matrix and all, uh, kind of figuring it all out. That's I guess. Cool theory if you will um as you said it's not really tangible mm-hmm. so it's all not all i shouldn't get into it because i don't know anything about it <laughs> but um no it's interesting i'd love to hear the backgrounds of people because uh like my grandpa was an engineer for gosh probably like almost 30 25 years and before he moved down to kentucky and worked for jim beam as an engineer oh cool yeah and just like oh, wow. he worked like on all these different things and Found out he almost worked for Boeing and all these other different places. Then he was kind of just a guy that was working, you know, a family man, if you will, back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then the late 80s, he moved to Louisville and started working for Jim Beam the last 20 years of his life. And he was always like the best job I ever had. I wish I was there my entire career. But worked until he was 75 years old, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, (laughs) I ran the uh, the, uh, boilers for um, the Claremont. Uh, oh, cool. yeah yeah
2: i just learned how to operate the boilers oh <laughs> <Yeah>. oh exciting
0: <laughs> is there a lot of staircases
2: in sagamore there's only two staircases okay yeah,
0: yeah. he always complained Lucky. about the staircases but he was like a fit guy's entire well he's still alive but he's <laughs> a very uh very fit guy's entire life because he's like i had to go up and down four or five six staircases oh, a man. day just checking on the boilers yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: oh geez i'll yeah. <laughs> uh, keep you in shape
0: yeah, yeah definitely so what was like the how did you Transition into distillation over COVID as a part-time employee.
2: Yeah. So I started part-time as a brand ambassador in a visitor center Yeah, and just giving tours because I love talking to people about whiskey, you know, just being, (sighs) being down that rabbit hole and always thinking about it, talking to folks, you know, joining groups on Facebook and Discord and just conversing with other locals um, i thought this would be you know an easy in and something i really enjoyed doing and Mm. i did and i still give tours here and there when i can when i find the time it's awesome Um, but that was something i did just on the weekends as i kept my full-time job and kind of flip-flopped whether i wanted to go down the actual decision of making a career change like that Mm -hmm. Um, and then i eventually applied for a distiller position and i worked on the processing and packaging area for a couple months to get an idea of how the processes were working become more familiar with the equipment and just the flow of the process from making the whiskey to bottling it and then shipping it out. And then eventually, um, last year, yeah, I was transitioned onto the distilling team mm-hmm. and began cooking whiskey and, or cooking mashes and distilling whiskey and blending, tasting, bottling, mm-hmm. sensory, all that.
0: Did the team know your full-time job when you first started working part-time? Um, I think some people did. <laughs> yeah. Like this guy's overqualified for this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, just, I always tell people just someone has someone ask me at an event the other night. Um, like how do I your job or do what you do and i always say go to your local distillery and see if they need part-time help because Mm -hmm. they probably need part-time help in some capacity or at least free help if you want to work for free because that's usually one of the first routes into working for uh distilleries (laughs) as well but yeah just to go and for anybody else out there that has that question or has that inkling to go work for a whiskey distillery not just you know listen to a whiskey podcast and drink whiskey and do all that stuff but Go to a local distillery. See what they need part-time help with. Maybe it's just like one day a week for a month, but they can always turn into something else. I did the same thing. I worked as a part-time ambassador, um, and then at a distillery, then full-time. Here we are now in my basement. <sighs> yeah, talking about whiskey, full time, circle. Full time circle. By. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, what was uh, when you came back from Paraguay? What were you? Did you start collecting or you know? sourcing more bottles of whiskey to have at home sure
2: yeah, yeah. so when i was down there as you can imagine uh, i hate saying collecting i don't know yeah why. collecting I, yeah. just uh acquiring right thing, yeah, 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 yeah yeah sure so They should be drinking. exploring you know. tasting experimenting um but yeah i started to put together a list you know when i was down there mm. whenever i had internet which was maybe like once a month <laughs> um so i'd go and just browse websites and like read reviews and just try and absorb as much information as i could um so i had a little list when i came back you know okay. like, these are things i want to go and try because i couldn't find them or i couldn't just, you know, getting any information about them. They seemed interesting. Um, so yeah, I came back and, you know, went through a couple dozen bottles. Um, Peace Corps gave us a nice little welcome back to America. I don't want to drop you off and not have any money. So there you go. here you go, um, for volunteering for us for three years. And so got some whiskey and, uh, started going from there. And then it just, you know, just spiraled a little bit, right. trying other spirits <laughs> and trying other types of whiskey and then meeting more people, sharing little samples, all of it, yeah.
0: For sure. Did you go kind of straight into American whiskey, or did you keep in that scotch realm as well?
2: I would say I, I probably tackled both at the same time. Okay. Um, I definitely had a preference to scotch at first, and then bourbon and rye was something I kind of acquired my tastes for. Mm. Um, over time, I think it's the new oak, really, that is something that I had to acquire a taste for. It was really bitter to me at first. Yeah. A little astringent. Um, and scotch, you know, with all those used barrels, it seemed to be a little more uh, easy for me to, to to taste and to pick up nuances and to enjoy. So, um, yeah, started scotch, but really quickly transitioned to American whiskey as well. Mm. And then everything else, rum and brandies, agave spirits, you know, you know, yeah. there's just too much out there. <laughs> there is, there's too
0: much to, uh, to drink out there, which is a good thing Yeah, in most cases. Do you take what you first liked and disliked to apply it into distillation now, what you're trying to create? Or maybe, I mean, you're new, and I understand maybe you don't have that um, freedom yet, but Mm -hmm. maybe what you want to do in the future.
2: Definitely, yeah. And at Sagamore, you know, we're really open to new ideas. Mm -hmm. We're always trying to think forward and think of new creations for the future. Um, So this Amaro is something that I had a big part in. And that was something that, you know, the... The conversations started months before we even started doing any of the blending trials and infusions to see what recipe we wanted to land on. Um, but I haven't really made anything yet myself. I've got some ideas for stuff on our pilot system. Oh, cool. Um, we do have a small system that we produce about a barrel and a half of, a whiskey on a week, and we do uh, very different mash bills on mm. that. So using interesting grains like malted rice and malted wheat. Um, doing like Hefeweizen style mash bills and all kinds of really unique experiments. So I've got some ideas for that.
0: So do you experiment from the very beginning of picking your mash bill to the mashing in the fermentation into the distillation on mm-hmm. those projects?
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So talking with some of my supervisors, uh, kind of creating a little mash bill, making sure it'll work um, on the pilot system. We have some pretty robust equipment so we can we can really experiment around with some things and it's much smaller. So um, there isn't as much investment up front when mm-hmm. you're trying something out experimental hoping that it works. Is it rye? Not all right, okay. no, nope. Oh, yeah. I like to hear yeah. the sound of that. We've done, yeah. some, uh, we've done <laughs> some interesting stuff, done some single malts, um, did a malted wheat, malted barley, mash bill, nice a couple months ago, yeah. So, some interesting stuff's coming through there.
0: So, you let it age and then just kind of sense it along the way of yeah. its process,
2: yep. We'll do sensory on everything at least you know after a year or two years. Um, we also do distillate as well, so we're gonna mm. do sensory on all the distillate samples for the main system and our pilot system just to kind of see like how it starts out, and then we have data from the very beginning to see how it's progressing as it ages. Amazing. So could eventually Sagamore move out of
0: just Rye?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know it's a, it's, a, it's a big question to ask, and I'm sure there's uh, higher-ups that will make that ultimate decision other than you two, but Brett doesn't own the company. Um, no. That's what he tells me anyway. <laughs> I wish. For the last uh, five years, he's been lying to me.
1: No, I wouldn't do that to you.
0: Would hmm. you want to see something different than other, or something other than rye coming out of the I, distillery?
1: I think, like I said, probably to you when we first met, uh, let's earn it. Um, yeah. you know, right now, it's Marilyn rye and the history of Marilyn rye and putting Marilyn rye and that style back on the map. We're eight years into that, and mm. we were just talking on the way here about how far it's come, um, awareness-wise, and people now knowing the brand and understanding the style, and I think if we just put, you know, let's say a bourbon or something out tomorrow, it would distract from that story a little bit. Um, but as we grow as a brand and, and I think, you know, I don't know the plans and no one has shared anything with me, but my personal take on it is let's earn it. Okay. Let's, let's make it make sense. Cause it deviates from, you know, our mission, which is to establish a global passion for Maryland style rye. Um, that would obviously have to be altered if we start to, to release anything else, but mm-hmm. I think there'll be a time and a place where it makes sense. Hmm. Um, not, again, I don't know anything, and it's not my decision, but right, um, I think we're on the track to earn a little bit of leeway on what we might want to do mm-hmm. in, in an expansion mode. Kind of like, again, with the Amaro that we're here, we'll talk about today.
0: Certainly. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just reading an article in Whiskey Advocate this morning about the uh, American Single Malts, and one of the featured was, was the Claremont you wheel know, with Beam on there, and you're like, well, obviously they've they've earned it and all these other distilleries like Jack Daniels that are doing different things other than what they traditionally do. And, you're, and from what you're saying, they've earned it, but are they just kind of following course of what the small brands have now created and doing unique things and seeing the hype and praise that they're getting for that and following suit or like kind of to, maybe not even following suit, but trying to take over that space. Yeah. It's- um, Interesting question. Yeah, because also Future was like Cedar Ridge. Like, oh yeah, those guys are like doing it all themselves. Um, Westward is like as a single malt distillery and experimenting with all these different barrel finishes from barrels within their area of the country and trying to create their style of single malt whiskey based in um, Oregon or like with Cedar Ridge based in Iowa, trying to do everything um, production wise from Iowa grains into barrels, what they have on their winery, what they have available to them. They're kind of creating their own space and identity through all this experimentation, but they're also, you know, evolving into just not bourbon, not just rye, not just single malts. So,
1: yeah, I think, if you want to know my thoughts on American single malts, please, love, please visit love. any of the prior episodes <laughs> yes. that I've been on because we have talked to that ad nauseum. But I, I think it's multifaceted. I think Jack Daniels is a good example where right. they released that rye, but number seven drinkers don't drink whiskey. They definitely don't drink rye. They yeah. drink Jack Daniels. Right, right. Um, I think they learned from that, took that back to that portfolio. And I mean... Whether they're going to take up that space or they had a head start with Means or whatever you want to say, they've mm-hmm. put out some pretty darn impressive releases after release after release. Yeah. Sure, they're going to get shelf space quicker than you or I because of who they are. Why? Again, because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <Again>, see <laughs> number seven. But in their defense, most of those releases, like the 10-year-old, the 12, have all been really, really good. The oh, single yeah. barrel stuff has been really solid. Mm-hmm. So it's that makes me... A lot less jaded or cynical of, okay, they just butted into the space because Mm. they're the big guy and they can. There's quality there that they've earned the right. They've already earned the right to be in the space. And now they're staying power there because they've done it right. And that's a hats off to them because they didn't have to do it that way. They could have put something not good out there and just hoped on who they were and, and, and their history. It would work. But I think they've tapped into a deeper audience. I mean, mm. I own seven or eight bottles of Jack Daniels. What? And I don't own a single bottle of number seven, and I don't just God, I don't drink numbers. Blasphemy. Well, it's just, again, a testament to what they've been putting out, right. which is, is
0: pretty neat. Which you can listen um, to episode 33 about our thoughts on young American single malts. Yes. Go, go back 200 episodes, which that's weird to say. Um, wow, that is weird saying that out loud. I think it's 240. Cool. Wow, weird. That's a good number. I guess so, even number. You, I felt like you were always a part of a three or a six whenever Second War was on.
1: Well, two plus four or six.
0: There you go. Are you still doing Friday the 13th?
1: Uh, that would be Friday, but no. Right. That's um, why I asked. Yeah, good point. We've been on for a few of those. Um, no, we've kind of moved a little bit away from that. We'll have some local uh, celebrations you know, in, in some markets where some bars that have done it over the years might do it, but um, we've kind of moved... Our focus this month is really for the Black Manhattan. Um, oh, cool. We don't want to distract from that. So we're kind of making uh, our Black Manhattan month um, for Sagamore in October um, and moving a little bit away from Rye the
0: 13th. I had a delicious Black Manhattan last night with some Danish whiskey. Oh, nice. Yeah, oh, very cool. And it was a rye, actually. Their, their rye, which is malted rye and malted barley. Mm, yeah, interesting. really interesting. I definitely check that out. Um, for anybody who hasn't listened to our previous podcast, could you guys give a little refresher into the Maryland-style rye?
1: sure I'll yeah. yeah yeah Chad please, cool please dad yeah yeah
2: so we have him talk about it enough so. yeah <laughs> we are definitely trying to inspire passion a global passion for maryland style rye so maryland style rye traditionally has had a bigger portion of corn in the mash bill mainly because of where maryland is located corn grows well but also rye grows well mm-hmm. so as opposed to a lot of kentucky distilleries that just focus on bourbon because we have a good source for rye locally we can we can grow it and we can make it so that's really where we're um, focus right now. So we do two mash bills. We have a 95, five, uh, rye mash bill. So 95% rye, 5% malted barley. And then we have our low rye mash bill, which is 52% rye, 43% corn, Five percent malted barley. So we make those two mash bills. We distill them, we age them, and we mature them separately, and then we blend them together at the end when we're bottling everything. And every bottle you see at Sagmore is a blend of those two mash bills. Right. So that helps us uh, have a lot of uh, diversity in what we can create in flavor flavor profiles, um, and it also gave us a lot of experience in blending, which mm-hmm. is something that was really important for this Amaro. Um, getting our chops with blending, our whiskey, and getting. Uh, our head around uh, different flavor profiles, because as our whiskey ages in Maryland versus as it aged in uh, MGP in Indiana, um, we determined that there are different flavor profiles mm. as they start coming over to Maryland and finishing their aging and then getting ready for bottling. And the proof differences were also um, pretty noticeable. We were right. seeing higher proofs on anything that aged in Maryland for a significant amount of time, climbing mm. to like 125, upwards of 130 sometimes. Wow. Whereas MGP barrels, if they live most of their life in Indiana, that was around 115 to yeah. 120, we'd find. Um, so that difference in proof also presented a small challenge in blending and creating a more consistent product as we increase the amount of Maryland rye. Mm. And that's always been the goal. Like we're trying to inspire a passion for Maryland rye. So we want to bottle and distill 100% Maryland rye. And we're getting close to that. And we're really proud of it. Perhaps next year we'll be able to say all of our signature bottles are Maryland rye at that
0: point. That's awesome. I wanted to kind of hit on that too, how you guys are getting close to mm-hmm. everything will be your own it here in the
2: future. Yeah. And that, but, that's, I mean, we're really excited. There's a lot of energy around that. And again, like I mentioned, the blending has been a challenge, but also a really big learning experience. Right. Um, and that kind of like laid the groundwork for the Samaro that we have today. I don't know if you wanted to just Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, over, another interesting point is in Maryland at a distillery, we can't sell anything we don't make. So we, oh. we made at a bar at a distillery store. Right, okay, we, gotcha. Yeah, so we opened a bar called 1909, named after the year our spring house was uh, founded, where we draw all the water that we uh, proof down our whiskey with. So once we opened that, we realized, you know, if we want to serve cocktails and have a nice, robust cocktail menu, it's going to be a challenge because we can't serve vermouth, we can't serve bitters that we don't make ourselves. Okay. can't serve curacao, can't serve any of the mixtures that you just kind of take for granted, just go pick up a bottle and, yeah. and use it. So we had to make all that in-house, and we were making that using our rye distillate, and again, that gave us even more experience with blending a very vast spectrum of flavors, because we're not talking about just whiskey here. We're talking about herbs and spices and fruits and all kinds of other ingredients. Right. Um, so we made a couple of things. We made a vermouth. We made bitters. We made a curacao. Um, we've experimented with a couple other uh, liqueurs that are only served in our bar, uh, mainly to— up that cocktail menu and make it a better experience for people coming to the distillery. Um, so along with the whiskey blending experience and the cordial and mm-hmm. the cure blending experience, we felt we had the chops to tackle on Amaro. And really what we wanted to do is to showcase something that would you know, highlight and complement the spice and the sweetness of our signature rye, and also create a really, really good black Manhattan. That was always the goal from the beginning compliment to rye and create a good black Manhattan
0: yeah definitely it's like well why not make a good rye if you can't make a good Manhattan then yeah yeah, what the hell are we doing kind of that's
2: our approach it's
0: like we make we make all our whiskey agents and wine barrels but it's make a good Manhattan and like let's just close the doors because it doesn't make any sense yeah but uh, yeah, so one quick thing about the blending process before we get into the morrow yeah. is how do you guys find that consistency with all of that um, fluctuation in ABV, also the fluctuation, I'm sure, in flavors when you're you know mm-hmm. getting whiskey from one
2: place and making whiskey another place? Yeah. So we do a lot of century trials. So we always have century samples set out in our lab where we have all of our whiskey samples. So we're pulling samples from barrels at least two years old, sometimes one as well, and then continuing every year Mm. after that to just see how different um, barrels are progressing. We also do sample or century samples on distillate as well. So um, we proof down our distillate pretty low to 40, but at 40 proof, you can really pick up some aromas. The mouthfeel is obviously watery at that point, um, but really what we're trying to pick up is any flaws, any... You know, really exemplary notes, some really nice stuff we're finding and some bad stuff just so we can kind of see how that progresses over time. Or if there's something that we don't want to barrel, um, which has never happened since I've been there, because we're pretty good at this point. We've got our we've got our uh, process down uh, to make some good distillate. But we're always doing sensory just to make sure that things are progressing and maturing how we want them to so that is a key part in how we determine which lots of barrels will be going into blends um, to match those flavor profiles. Great that's a that's awesome I mean, that's a way of doing it for sure. Is this the first liqueur you guys have packaged and sold? I believe so
1: Yeah. Yeah, we've, outside of the distillery, I think so.
2: Correct. We've done bitters at the distillery. Yeah. Like a small jar of bitters. Um, but I think this is the first that we've actually sent out into the market. I mean, it's awesome, too, that you guys get a...
0: I know it's by law, you have to essentially do that. So it's by a means of necessary to sell. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, to be able to package everything inside your bottle as your own, that's very unique as well.
2: Definitely proud of it. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, so if we actually... We do cocktails we we're just launching it in America but um, in Australia but we wanted to make it all our own base everything in there was like a Star Wars product that cool. way so we make our own liqueurs and our own bitters just for those bottled cocktails we can you know buy whatever for the bar at our at our distillery bar because Australia has much more laxed laws when it comes to alcohol oh, cool. um, but it's it but it's kind of symbiotic right there with both distilleries like everything in there gets, you get a call it your own then mm-hmm. it's perfect yeah Brett what has it been like launching this so far We just are
1: just getting underway, and in a lot of markets, it's part of a kit. Um, So it's you know the kind of a turnkey opportunity for a bar where they get four bottles of uh, Sagamore Rye, two bottles of the Amaro, and two jars of our actual uh, whiskey cherries that we do as well. Um, There's a bottle in the car if you want to try them.
0: (laughs) Um, I would love to.
1: That's not what you said when I tried to give you a jar last week. But either way, what did uh, I say? They're so good. You said no. I was drunk. Oh. (laughs) We only had like two beers. Confused. (laughs) But um, so it's been fun because it's a really turnkey like, hey, here's 50 cocktails in in this kit. Um, It's a really easy way to explain and run a feature um, for the places where we have the kits. A couple markets, those aren't legal. So we've just done the standalone tomorrow. And and so far, um, the response has been really good Um, in our, you know, Texas, everybody's favorite Class B market. Um, (laughs) That has led to some. Is there another Class B market? Kansas, South Carolina. They are. Oh, I yeah. didn't know. I didn't know Kansas
0: was. Yeah, Kansas. Talk about, talk is. about South Carolina?
1: Um, but the 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 production team and we'll go through it here. It really did a great job. The response, just tasting people, has been um really exciting. Um, I I, I think everybody has been pretty impressed with it. Um, and, and really, that's kind of opened the door to then. Okay, how do I get this? How do I you know? How can I use this? And mm-hmm. we're only a week or two in. Um, okay. I guess just over two in chicago um and we've sold through our first allotment of those kits great um and, and, and the second allotment just got here um so it's been fun it's been it's been it's really easy not easy but it makes it easier when you've got something in the bottle mm. um as you know as well and, and we already know we have that with the whiskey part um and you can get some people looking at you goofy when you say hey we also have an Amaro I'm like what then they try it and like, oh, yeah. All right, let let me learn more. Um, so it's been good. It's been a good start.
0: Hmm. What uh, is it mostly focused on the on premise or off premise?
1: Right now, mostly on. Okay. Yeah. Um, again, trying to use those kits and just hand a turnkey sort of uh feature to to, to an account. Um, with a, again focusing on Black Manhattan Month, I'm sure you've probably seen on some of our socials. Then we've shared a bunch of features and, and things like that. And, and I don't follow and, you guys, uh, you might have been blocked actually. Oh, that makes more <laughs> sense,
0: that makes more sense.
1: But so mostly on premise, and then as we run into more production, um, and, and more standalone bottles, we'll start to shift to the off premise.
0: Cool. What other markets are you selling in other than Illinois and Texas?
1: Um, almost all of them. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, at least where we have. Where, where it's legal and we have people, so... Um, <laughs>
0: where it's legal.
1: <laughs> well, the, the Amaro is at least legal. Sometimes the kits aren't, but... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if SAC was yeah, yeah, yeah. available, Morrow should be at least in those, I would say, those top 30 states. Hmm. Um, if it's not there now, it's on its way.
0: Have you ever sold a Morrow in the past?
1: Don't believe so. Oh. Uh, maybe when I was at the distributor, it was in my book, but... Right. I wouldn't have known even what it was back then. Really? Yeah. Huh. 25 years ago how far you've come <laughs> how cultured you have become learned a lot
0: huh why uh why the black manhattan just because
2: it's an easy transition with the rye or that's kind of part of it you know our mission again is to Turn people onto rye, especially Maryland style rye, yeah. and a lot of folks. As soon as you mention rye, they kind of just say, "Oh, I don't like rye." Mm. Um, so this is a great segue into it too. If you can get someone a cocktail, Gosh. and they and it's got rye whiskey in it, and they really enjoy it, they'll be more open to trying the rye itself. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it just blends really well. It's such a good cocktail. It's very spirit forward, but it's also very approachable. So it's got a lot of flavor.
0: Right? Are you still getting that? A lot of the I don't drink rye, or like
2: I don't even want to try rye. Yeah. Yeah, at the distillery all the time. Really? Yeah, you'll get people there like, oh, you know, I love my doing Buffalo Trace. Is usually they're with the partner. Yeah, right. Um, like, I love my bourbons and have their brands, but you know, most people that try our rye at the end of a tour when they get down and sit down and try our core products, a couple of special releases, mm-hmm. maybe a canned cocktail, you can see them like wheels turning in their head, like, well, maybe I do like rye. Maybe it has more to offer, different flavor yeah. profile.
0: It's amazing how the long-standing effects of a hundred years ago with bad whiskey can still affect today when mm-hmm. so much good whiskey is being produced. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously your guys, is great. Stuff is great, but yeah, it's, people are so hesitant now with, I mean, they, they, like, with rye and then also the misconception that all single malt is peated and right. that yep. whole thing going to there, like, nope, it's, it can be soft. It can be really delicious and, and delicate just the way that you might like certain bourbons that are more mm-hmm. caramel and soft spice forward. So yeah, just, just be a little more imaginative people. Mm-hmm which is our jobs, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, and in the season of shows, I mean, UFS and Peoria, St. Louis Bourbon Society, Indie Spirit coming up and, uh, and uh, you know, the rest of the year's booked with plenty more. Right. Six, seven years yeah. ago, people just walk right by me. They'd see it and be like, nope. Um, right. And that number's gotten lower and lower. There's still people that won't even entertain it, but there's now more and more people that whether it's because they've seen Sagamore in a back bar mm. or because of some of our, our other friends out there selling rise have gotten trial like... I'm not a rye person, but I've heard this one's good. Or I'm not a rye person, but I, I, I want to try this because I see it places. And, mm. and as Ted said, then we generally convert, not all of them, but people start to, we open eyes. I mean, in St. Louis, a lot of people with partners are like, I'm not a rye person. And sure, a couple of them were still, you weren't going to win no matter what you poured. right? Um, mm-hmm. But a good handful of them are like, oh, wow, wait, that's a rye? Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that's a rye. And then you, the Maryland style and the higher corn content, mm-hmm. you can tell that story. But I've definitely noticed it evolved to our favor um, over time, which hmm. is which is promising.
0: Are you still getting that in the market with GMs as well at bars? Like, well, we don't really have a lot of rye because customers aren't necessarily looking for it as much as they are bourbon.
1: I think I'm getting more and more of the opposite of, uh, I've been looking to expand our rye selection. Great. Or people yeah. have been asking for hmm. rye a little bit more. And I think that goes back to one of the reasons the Black Manhattan, you and I both know, you walk into a viable account and you ask for an old-fashioned or Manhattan placement, yeah, <laughs> right. Like unless you've got some other. That's how I
0: approach every account. Right. I just walk in, I'm like, give me your old right. fashioned, and it... you
1: probably get ninety nine percent of them.
0: Yeah, not really. Right.
1: Exactly. So a black Manhattan's kind of a, a, a comfortable space. It's it's not a completely foreign, out of left field cocktail that someone wouldn't understand what it is.
0: Can you just can you tell the build of a black Manhattan? So for all people out there that maybe don't don't know what's in the ingredients. Sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, you would start with a whiskey. Uh, we would use Sagamore Rye. And then let's go that used, route yeah <laughs> and then instead of vermouth you'd use an amaro right um you know i i like our double oak with chenar quite a bit Ooh. um our, our our straight rye sagamore rye with, with um, montenegro works really well but the best i've had is with our amaro now right. um and we go two parts of whiskey one part of amaro, a couple of dashes of bitters and a, and a cherry so it's not a huge deviation from you know the original manhattan recipe but something different and and you know, an opportunity from a sales side to, to add something to a cocktail menu or a feature. Mm-hmm. And I think for a consumer side, for somebody that's maybe done Manhattans or old fashions, just no brainers to be like, oh, you know what? I'll try that. Maybe they don't want to go a sour route or paper plane route mm-hmm. or something a little bit different, but they're comfortable trying that. Um, and, and maybe that'll then lead to further exploration into whiskey cocktails, but kind of, I thought a pretty... Well-thought-out approach, I think, to, to having some success out there.
0: Is this kind of like your gateway into – not gateway because you're already in a lot of bars and restaurants. But is it more of a – shows more of a focus of kind of transitioning not just in the off-premise but also into more on-premise locations across the country?
1: Yeah, I think as we talked about before, on-premise has always been brand awareness. But now also sure. – And you just mentioned an account that's going through. It's Velocity. Yeah. You, know, you, you taste out 12 people at a liquor store and they buy – Twelve bottles. They may never buy another bottle. That bottle. Sure. May, I have so many bottles at home with six sips out of them. That you know, I don't know what I'm going back to. Um, but if there's pouring that at, at a, when I'm at my store and oh, I have that. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, Twelve people order this cocktail. You go through a whole bottle and you open another one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I think on premise is very important, not only beyond beyond the awareness play, but into the velocity play, especially for brands like ours. Um, yeah. And I think that's one of the things I like about this approach is. So many times, you know, even the, some of the best sales reps with, with all brands in all my career, you, you you get somebody on board, they want to use it, and then it's like, all right, what can I do? It's like, oh, what can I do with it? Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, just put it in a gin and tonic. Well, no, mm-hmm. I already have whatever in my gin and tonic. Like, yeah. So it's kind of solution oriented, right? Rather mm. than, okay, we need distribution or we need that favor, hey, bring this in. Hey, bring it in, but here's how you execute it. And then let's see how it goes. And we, and we can go from there. Um, and whether we want to mix it up with a paper plane in the spring or something, um, or, or make this a permanent menu feature sort of uh, approach, but it's, it's very much in theory, at least and it's proven to be pretty successful so far of in the on-premise. Here's not only thank you for bringing it in, but here's what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll see, you know, I'll come back on in 60 days and we'll see what the results were and, and what that's led to. And, um, That's follow-up and reorders and things like that.
0: Mm. Will you transition to, you think, different cocktails with this as the winter months approach? No idea. Oh.
1: I mean if it's tremendously successful and I mean with them using the vermouth at 1909 or something if there's yeah, yeah, yeah. but I I mean we're so new into it
0: right, yeah, mm-hmm. right. does that yeah. kind of all begin at the distillery bar that like research of it all just a little how...
1: bit yeah
2: that's kind of where it started but um, I'm not sure exactly where the Amaro who decided on that and okay. like pursuing that but definitely from our perspective on operations and production that's where it all started you know Sweet. if we hadn't blended all that other stuff before we probably wouldn't have the confidence or the information the knowledge to just go and blend in Amaro mm-hmm. and we still had to do a lot of research before we got into this, you know, tasting a lot of existing amaros, reading a lot about amaros. I mean, it's a really old category that's just now really getting some momentum here in the U.S. Right. Um, so we really wanted to make sure we do a justice to the actual category mm. and create something unique as well. What did you personally learn from the research? Um, just about all the history, really. I didn't realize how how much of a thing Amaro is in Italy. And I'll be going there uh, for vacation at the end of the year, so I'm nice. kind of excited to go and try oh, yeah. some some of these small Amaros that are just not distributed anywhere, basically. They're just made in small towns and mm-hmm. part of the restaurant menu. Um, just how much a part of the culture it was for Italy, I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then tasting the Amaros. I mean, I would tried a couple of things before this, like Campari and Nonino and... Aperol, and just seeing how how vast yeah. the spectrum of flavors is for Mario, yeah. and how um, essentially undefined it is. It doesn't mm. have to necessarily Good be point. a specific thing or follow a specific recipe. It's basically just some sort of liquor base, spirit base, and some sort of flavoring, typically bitter, and then some sort of sugaring. Yeah, it's interesting too, like how it you know just. Uh,
0: an eighth of an ounce more in a cocktail can just over-pollute the rest of the whiskey, or less mm-hmm. the rest of the
2: cocktail, and take over the whole flavor
0: profile. But you got to get that perfect amount to it just right.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. We we learned that firsthand. How <laughs> how minute the details between the recipes matter and the ratios. It just it makes a big difference. Huh. I guess that probably relates to you guys learning how to blend too. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of trial and error. A lot of sensory. Like I said, sometimes when you walk into our lab, it's just. There's probably a couple hundred just yeah. samples and flasks ready to go that are just waiting to be censored. Um, censored. <laughs> done sensory on? <laughs> I know. I always yeah, <laughs> like, say it. I'm like, Wait, yeah, well, that no, it's sense.
0: not a CD from 1996. We're going to put a sensory uh, <laughs> Explicit, on it. Explicit. Yeah. yeah. Explicit.
2: There you yeah. go. Uh, but no, just ready to you know have some sensory done on them, collect the data, and then we'll comb through it and see if there's any trends and go through that. So we're always tasting. Always. It's a fun part of the job, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> it's the one fun part of the job,
0: huh? Well, not the one fun part. No, a fun part. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What's the um, the approach when you guys, when you're starting to learn how to blend, how
2: do you guys pursue that? Uh, like in the case of the Amaro? Sure, yeah. Yeah. So basically, after doing all that research, we found, uh, we basically made a list of ingredients. Okay. These are common ingredients that a lot of people tend to use in Amaro's that add a lot of flavors and tend to go into different groups. We have, in these three bottles in front of you, we have different groups of flavors. Fruity, floral, herbal, spicy, and then bitter. Um, and these are the actual ingredients for the Amaro kind of segmented, but- Identifying those ingredients, we had about 36 that we decided, all right, these are ingredients that we can actually source, mm. quality ingredients, um, they're all organic. And then we wanted to make sure that we'd have a diversity of ingredients. So some things that would be very bitter, some things would be some sweetness, some things that would be you know more tannic, perhaps, more okay. spicy. Um, so we infused all those separately. So we did 36 separate macerations using our 95.5 distillate. Um, so we used that at 120 proof. We would put everything into the distillate in separate uh, we started, I think with a half liter bottles, um, and infusing everything separately. And then we identified different recipes that we wanted to create. Mm. So once we had the infused 36 ingredients, we would start blending by basically the five milliliters. How long um, do you
0: macerate the products for? Uh,
2: five to seven days. Okay. I think we started on seven then we went down to five. Okay. Um, and so after that, we would start blending and we made 16 recipes out of those 36 <laughs> ingredients. And then since we started trial and error, just tasting everything, um, seeing what we liked, what we didn't like, just eliminating the bad ones and identifying flavors that we might have wanted to accent or to enhance or maybe to reduce a little bit in, in different recipes. Mm. So that was a iterative process. We kept was doing that. Was
1: that all on its own or with our whiskey as well? Like,
2: this was just on its own. Just on its own. Okay. We started with just the Amaro, um, just getting down the flavors and this is all before sweetening as well. So we really got wanted it. to nail down the flavor profile. Right. And then once we got that all set in squared, we would then start doing this again for sweetening. How much sugar do we want to add to this? Um, it did take a while to kind of go through all that. We did multiple iterations of the recipes. Um, eventually we ran out of those base components. So we had to start over and remasterate everything and then, <laughs> and then kind of pick up where we left off after a week. Um, so it was a lot of, uh, measuring and pouring and blending and tasting. Um, but eventually we nailed down a recipe with, with 16 ingredients. Okay. Funny enough. Um, and that's one that we were really proud of. And then we started doing the trials again with sugar to see mm. how sweet we want it. And that was something that we really did um, go back and forth on. We right. we all agreed that we on the tasting panel, we wanted something that was leaning a little more bitter, but we wanted to make sure the sweetness came through as well, and we really needed to make it work well with Black Manhattan. Mm. So that's when we started making mock cocktails, or mock cocktails, small versions of the cocktail to see what that would actually translate to in the, in the finished version. How many people are working on this project? At um, on the century side, we had a lot of the distillers involved here and there. Okay. Um, There's three of us primarily okay. that really uh, nailed down all the blending and the macerating and the sweetening. Would you say that you all three have
0: similar palettes or completely different?
2: Um we did learn that we all have different flavor preferences during okay. that and there's a little bit of overlap. Um I learned I used to think that I didn't like cardamom at all and uh, then I've like really grown to like cardamom welcome, over this. Welcome. Yeah. One of my favorites. And I think it was just I might have just had some Indian food with too much cardamom. Right. That, that was my first experience with car- the, the real flavor of cardamom. Um and so it just stuck in my mind, but then doing this and trying like pure cardamom macerated in our distillate and then how that changed as we diluted it, that mm-hmm. was really found a sweet spot where i can find cardamom flavors that i like it's such a a good point to bring up too like the foods that you
0: eat every single day can come back and impact your pro your palate and your profile you like or dislike Mm -hmm. but it's also about like going back and trying it again and Mm -hmm. sitting there and understanding what didn't i like about it or like you said maybe it's just a bad dish
2: or too too much of it something
0: else inside of it whatever other dish that's taking over it and blending together to create something different I, I can't remember who I heard a long last time ago on a podcast talking about how when they're a blunder and everything they eat, they eat it as if they're consuming whiskey and thinking hmm. about the pro, thinking about the flavors they're getting. He's like, even if it's just a Dorito, like something about that, like, oh, what do I find different in this taste versus that bite hmm. from, the, from the previous bite or something like yeah. that. Yeah, so it kind of sticks with me sometimes when I'm eating food I don't eat on a daily basis, like something different. Like maybe Indian food, have it like once every 10 days, once every two weeks. But like finding those flavors that are really interesting and distinct Mm -hmm. um, versus what I have when just like, I don't know, having like a turkey sandwich or something, something lame like that.
1: Was there a botanical or or an ingredient that you guys really wanted but couldn't source or rely on be able to get regularly?
2: Mm, Not. That I know of, there were some ingredients that I personally really wanted to get in the amaro because I, I love their flavor, and I wanted I wanted it to work so bad. Mm-hmm. Vanilla bean was one, and coffee was another. Interesting. And they just they we just ended up not using those recipes that had majority of those. And whether it was that a, a specific flavor profile or how it mixed with everything uh-huh. else, because all the recipes were fairly different. Um, ended up not making to the final product but it was something that i i didn't end up liking as much as i thought when i tried the pure maceration of those as well i just associated i love vanilla mm-hmm. i love coffee mm-hmm. and i think i'm gonna love those flavors they go well together i think so maybe they can make it tomorrow but didn't quite make the gut
0: what happened with the vanilla bean what what flavor did it kind of you know turn into or how did it taste it was
2: just a really strong vanilla it was like a vanilla okay. extract almost but a little bit wondering. more tannins yeah uh, huh so it was uh just a little too overpowering
0: was there anything else that you thought would
2: taste really well that didn't work out too Those are the two big ones Uh, on the opposite side. I thought cardamom because of my previous experience with it. I was like, I'm not going to enjoy this. Um, And then I started enjoying it more and more. And that's one of the primary flavors I pick out of our Amaro now. And it's probably because I'm biased from doing all those sensory trials, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I get the cardamom.
0: Yeah. Did you bring in your, do you have a bar team, I assume back at the distillery that they help out with all this project too? At the Um, end,
2: they didn't help out with this. They did um, help out with the final part where we're making the black Manhattans, a little bit on the sweetening side. Um, But they are going to help out a lot as they take this tomorrow and play with it and create more stuff now. Interesting. I like it. Um, Should we taste some of
1: it? Yeah. This is the longest I've been around you without a drink in my hand, (laughs) maybe ever.
0: Well, Brett, you know, (laughs) there's this thing called restraint. And today we are exercising that. Lola disagrees apparently because she <laughs> just grunted about that mark.
2: <laughs> um, should we taste some of the uh, components?
0: herbal components I was of it? Yeah, it yeah.
1: A whole
2: best cool. way to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've got a little uh, little flight here. So we have sixteen right. ingredients in the amaro. What we did is we kind of determined those fit into three broad categories of flavors: okay. fruity and floral, herbal and spicy, and then bitter. So what we wanted to do, and we've been doing this um, yesterday and today, just doing these Maro deconstructions at uh, different venues. And we've been going around and showing folks about these different flavor profiles so they can kind of see the sum, or the parts of the Amaro and then try the actual finished product and see the sum of all these different flavors and how <laughs> it plays together, which ones they like the most, and maybe get those creative juices flowing too to see how it could work in a Black Manhattan or possibly other cocktails in the future. Nice. Cool. Is
0: this how you've been going around to bars to doing it this week?
2: Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Been real fun. Love a it. Receptive. A lot of yeah. a lot of great people here in Chicago. Really, yeah, really proud some... of what they're doing.
0: This, yes, there's that. Yes, they <laughs> if are.
1: you're Listening from the North Texas area. Oh, uh, same uh, thing is happening there next week. The week of the 17th. That's next week, right? Yeah. Sure. So, if you're what
0: day is today? You I mean, uh, know, Thursday. Uh, the
1: 12th. 12th. Oh, the 12th. Yeah. Thursday. Oh, thank, thank you, guys. guys.
0: Huh. Get Interesting.
2: So what are we starting with first? So this one is the fruity and floral.
0: Do you mind if I smell the distillate? Yeah,
2: go for it. Yeah, you can try that too. That distillate is at 120 proof. Um, so it's quite high. Yeah. <laughs> and so for this, we wanted to use our 95.5 distillate. We did do some very trials for the very beginning. Do we want to use our high rye or our low rye distillate? So all these are with our high rye. Gotcha. Let me get a glass to dump out. Cool.
0: Anyways, we don't need it. i have just bar things laying around yeah, this basement
2: convenient. if you don't need it oh nice mixing oh. yes i
0: stole it from somebody probably <laughs> brett
2: so this first one is all of these are bottled at 60 proof so mm. same proof as the maro but they all lack uh sugar these aren't sweetened so gotcha. it's just the flavor components and this is how we started when we were developing the maro just doing it without sweetening but with all the components together it's like high
0: sea fruit punch like yeah?
2: oh man do you get any distinct notes on this one
0: Oh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to keep the toothpaste out of my mouth. It's still <laughs> lingering around three, four hours later. I get like a, not watermelon, but something in that.
1: Well, I totally get something. I can't think of what it's called.
0: There's a spice in there too on the nose.
1: I'm going to revisit my tasting kit.
2: And what's cool about this is, you know, when we're tasting whiskey and thinking of flavor notes and everything, you're thinking, oh, this tastes like vanilla. This reminds me of this. This actually has a lot of those notes people are finding in whiskeys in it. They literally are in this. So, There's a little
0: melon flavor to it, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Huh.
2: I've heard some people say strawberry. I could
0: see. That. On the nose, I think it's like artificial strawberry kind of. Okay.
2: Yeah. Some of the main ingredients in this one that we're highlighting are hibiscus, orange peel, cherry, black hibiscus. Hibiscus, that's what it yeah. is, yeah. Hibiscus is a weird one. It's like that flower that's a fruit almost, just right. because of its flavors. Yeah.
1: You know, like black currant, did you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see
2: that. That was on
0: the nose. I was kind of getting that. I'm like, it's not cardamom, it's not clove, but yeah, black currant's a good one.
1: Oh, that's cool.
2: What's fun about this one is I've, I personally get, I I feel like it's going to be sweet from the aromas. Right. All the all the flavors I get on this, I associate from my personal life with sweet foods or mm-hmm. you know sweeter, richer foods. And you try it. And lacking the sweetness it yep. just completely does a 180 almost but it maintains that flavor so it's kind of a just a really fun experience it's like you know. a really really toned down like outdoor kind of like
0: camping on a night the fires like you wake up next morning and like you just smell like the fresh air it's almost like herbaceous mm-hmm. in a way okay yeah for me on cool. the taste on the flavor
1: yeah it's a lot drier and dry is great word. sweet than yeah. i thought mm-hmm.
2: And that was a little jarring Uh, the first time I did this. I think um, we did this at the distillery with some real enthusiasts who we call whiskey thieves, folks who are really into our distillery and come to all our events and releases. Mm -hmm. And it was very jarring for some of them because they all expected it to be sweet. And I might have forgot to tell them that there was no sugar in these. <laughs> so when they tried it, you could just see, like, the Makes reaction sense. on their face. Like, you think you're drinking milk or something, and it's water, or vice versa. It's I don't know, unexpected. I keep, I keep thinking, like, a
0: leaf. I don't know. Like, like a dead leaf in fall, something like that. Oh, cool. Just, like, that late fall, like, not wet at all, but, like, dry. The dry outdoors. I don't know, something about that.
2: But the fruit punch is, like, the Rome of it. It's just... Yeah, once you said high sea fruit punch. It yeah. Took yeah. me back to after middle school, basically. There you go. <laughs> hmm. Cool. What do you think, Brett?
1: I already said what I thought. Right. Any more thoughts? Almost like a real dry rose notes. Like mm, a, that's a great like yeah. Not, wow, yeah. Maybe not quite rose, but that that right. direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like but on a super drier side.
0: Like a um like a fruity brute, but like really dry. Yeah. Not sparkling, obviously. Right. Yeah, but but yeah.
1: Dry, yeah, not sparkling dry, but in yeah, in that kind of soft red wine. Not the sweet ones, but to the drier side.
0: Should I open my rosé collection? We can find out.
1: Maybe after we're done recording. After
0: we're done, okay.
2: Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next one we're going to try? Next one is going to be herbal and spicy. Cool. So I will say, of the three we try, um, this first one—they're kind of going, ramping up in intensity of flavor. Yeah. Um, so the first one's going to be the most mild, and I actually, I get a little bit of a distillate on the back end of that one, mm. still so kind of shining through. Oh, really? is that 60 proof? Yeah, I don't. I don't find it on these next two. Mm. so this one herbal spicy you'll notice um, it is pretty cloudy and that's mainly because of some of the ingredients we added in here particularly anise which has some oils in it that aren't water soluble yeah so we we macerated everything at 120 proof okay to get the most flavor extraction and then we proofed it down to 60 and when we did that then we got this haziness from this component mm. um and that's just the louching of the oil from the anise into the spirit um, so that's why it looks very hazy but if you look at our finish tomorrow it's not um, right these components were just put together for this de- deconstruction and not filtered as as finely as this one i just want to this second live with yeah like this is what my house should smell like
1: you're this gonna crush be. your uh, W set test. Yeah, using yeah. all the same words he does. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't.
2: I have not been able to participate in any of those classes, <laughs> but I'm. I'm looking forward to the test. Yeah, this one's very. Um, I've heard people associate it with seasons: mm-hmm. uh, fall, winter. You know, spice forward, chai like. Now this, on so the oh, taste, yeah,
1: on the nose, having tasted the amaro itself, a couple times, just a on the nose, times. this reminds me of the actual finished product. Yeah. quite a lot. Huh. Yeah, I think not on the this taste one,
2: though yeah. this no. one definitely comes through on the nose
0: chai for sure like all over that It's even like settling like a tea kind of the the oiliness of it all just mm-hmm. sitting on your palate too but now that the nose is like Annie's for sure and oh man like a slight clove in there nothing like chai overwhelming
2: said. but mm-hmm. man clove. Yeah. 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 it's, it's a, weird how thin it is hit, like, yeah. Uh, yeah
1: like it looks like it should stick to the side of the yeah. mouth a little bit the
2: haziness definitely affects my perception of how it's yeah. going to be and mm. then the lack of sugar just as soon as you add sugar to these the the mouth feel and the texture is just ramped up so how did here. this one change with the sugar how did this one change yeah. we didn't actually make these components individually with the sugar oh okay we tried small amounts but we didn't like fill them up it just got more more viscous. yeah essentially sure. it was more rich and it had a much more substantial finish huh. it
1: tastes like potpourri my yeah, I'm used to put out. Absolutely, that's mm-hmm. what kind
2: of I was thinking. Like fill the
0: house with this with this uh, aroma.
2: Yeah, yeah, this has got cloves, cinnamon, a um, little bit of cardamom.
0: You're also a potpourri connoisseur next to a whiskey connoisseur, so.
1: I do mm. love some potpourri.
0: Uh ah, that's great. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Hmm. So, did what did we, did you think? What, what one was made? For Or I guess did you decide on these three all together at the same time or like this fruity one has to be a component or like this herbal one has to be a component?
2: So these are all made after the fact. So we made our Amaro you know we finished it all and then we decided we wanted to do these deconstructions so we took the recipe of Amaro and we split everything into three categories just to kind of broadly, you know, categorize them all into Sorry. different um, flavors. You know, you're good. I probably didn't explain that very well. No, I um, might, might have missed it as I'm in, adjusting things and Originally, stuff like we that. wanted to do all the components, but I mean, you, you imagine that. It's 16 different individual yeah. macerations, and it was <laughs> just to too travel. much. It was too much. Yeah, as soon as we thought about it more, we were like, all right, three is a lot to start with, so right. we'll do that. And I think they're very different flavor components, so they do showcase um, different sides of the Amaro. And it's fun to try the Amaro at the end to see how, right. how they all kind of shine through.
0: Visually, it still works, too. And, like, mm-hmm. the taste with it, obviously, they have that tangible experience with it. It's really nice either way. Yeah. Like, I, I've tried to do a deconstruction of our wine barrels that we age in for okay. whiskey by, like, getting wine from the vineyards. Oh, that's cool. Well, we did it over COVID as a Zoom, like tasting, mm-hmm. and it was like just a mess of sending those kids out. <laughs> People
2: <laughs> just like tricky. Well, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: A little too much effort. So three is a great number. I always come kind of the same way where it's like Shiraz, Pinot and Cab. That's the base. Like mm-hmm. where else it comes from? Other vineyards and vintages, can't go that far in depth. Yeah. Just too much.
2: And all that was coming from Australia?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yes, so I all imagine. our wine barrels are Australian wine casts.
2: All of that during COVID shipping all that. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, I mean like the I was like I bought I bought the wines that were available to us in the states versus okay. you know yeah. Got to make it easier on yourself. Yeah, this whole basement was a compound of uh, virtual tasting kits for a, a solid year I'd say. Okay.
1: All legally shipped.
0: Yes, yes. Of course. Picked
1: up. It, it's not picked like up. Picked, up. picked up, right? Yes. Right. All picked up
0: through a retailer or restaurant that was able to have a package license.
1: Exactly. We should do a whole podcast on how to do that the right way. Exactly. For our friends.
0: All of our friends. It's
1: weird. Jake used to have a shaved head, but now he's grown his hair out. Really? To, to, so we can still go to the post office.
0: Mm. <laughs> mm. Yes, that was it. Oh, so we are
2: tasting the bitter the component bitter component. now. It's yep. a way different nose. Yeah, so this one's, I think, again, kind of similar intensity to the herbal spice. It's yeah. very much jumping out of the glass. For sure. And even
0: has like some of the component to it there on the nose it feels it's something similar about it granted i'm using the same glass but mm-hmm. someone's trying to call you bro
2: yeah yeah very important people important man mm. and i think this one lingers a lot on the finish definitely
1: yeah i'm trying to place that flavor that's it almost is malort-esque
2: so that's not the first time i've heard that doing this uh doing that's this what that nose was
0: <laughs> i don't the, t- the flavor isn't that it's not like uh glove that's been sitting out in the streets of Chicago the entire winter with cars running over it as it gains tar and tar and melts, melds into the sidewalk and the wet snow drenches it. And then you find it in the spring and you taste it. And that is my Sounds
2: like terroir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some Chicago terroir.
0: Oh, we always, there's a question. It's an interesting subject itself about um, our friend, Marty Duffy, who oh. is allegedly the uh, U.S., ambassador of Glencairn
1: yeah he's well, the Glencairn
0: the crystal king of Chicago
1: well, let's give him all North America okay
0: well that's what he said to me is crystal king of Chicago no, anyway no, he works. always wonders about how the effects of barrel aging in the city is versus like barrel aging in the country like in mm-hmm. Kentucky for instance like are you picking up the flavors of the city of all the exhaust and all the huh. fumes from buildings and all that kind of affecting the whiskey that's aged here in Chicago um it's a great question yeah it is i don't hmm. and I don't know how you'd actually test that and examine yeah. it but someday i'm sure somebody will
1: is there wormwood what wor- wormwood in dude here? it's all i'm tasting now yeah
2: <laughs> a little bit this one also has orris root as well which okay. is uh, i think it's the bulb of should iris
0: we try some malort bulbs? with this side by side <laughs> oh my goodness although i think the only malort i have is the ipa barrel age malort oh
1: from darn Robert. next yeah. time yeah
2: Actually, it's really good. Maybe that's so the new Chicago I have that one. Is it, It's it got like a hop on it, I think. Yeah, like on it's the, the hop hero of evolution, I believe, yeah, whatever I it's so. called. I yeah. love the nose of that one. That, yeah. It smells great. There's a Mezcal one. I don't know if it ever
0: came to market. I was over at the distillery two years ago, hmm. and we were tasting through other barrel-aged Malords, and the Mezcal one was
2: actually really good. Like I'm like, oh, I could sit here and, wow. and, and enjoy this, especially it's over a rock. Interesting. We did a, a Mezcal finish last year. And yeah. Just thinking about it, like, oh, I don't know how that's going to jive together but then doing the sensory on those barrels was just phenomenal and that yeah. was one of my favorite finishes we've ever done that was delicious yeah i Brett.
1: definitely get like sarsaparilla but that might be on the nose Well, that might be the same glass so yeah I
2: think so you did sneak some be
0: vanilla bean in there then get <laughs> some sarsaparilla yeah i mean i kind of know what you're saying but i mean i get that i got like big potpourri sense mm-hmm. to it as well yeah,
2: this I is... think there's a little bit of contamination from previously the first one. But we
0: need, we need more glassware. If anybody <laughs> likes to sponsor key in the lake, get us more glassware because I don't hey. I don't have a whole cabinet upstairs full of glass. Crystal King
1: of uh, <laughs> Chicago.
0: Who we got over there? What's, what uh, what what distilleries on your glass, Brett?
1: Oh, I have Hide uh, a Garrett and the friends at
0: Oh yeah, Urban
1: Belly, Maze and Mash.
0: I did not steal that; it was gifted to me. I was gonna because it's cracked or it has a oh, it has an inefficiency in, in it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Matt just let me have it. Oh, so, yeah yeah i believe there's yeah, also a four roses and a woodenville glass floating around this yeah, afternoon yeah. so the four roses there you go so yeah fun stuff um that's it's really interesting that you gotta try that whole component and how obviously it's not everything like you said it's inside of there but you get to get a really good base of it mm-hmm. it's a great idea this is a great way of showcasing the brand is this your first uh road show with uh sagamore it is yeah nice. i've done
2: a lot at the distillery itself I, I live near the distillery um but never traveled for it, so I'm really excited. First time in Chicago too. Oh yeah, little wow. fun time. You should have
1: stayed longer. Yeah,
2: yeah. next time. This isn't <laughs> going to be my last time, I can tell.
0: What's the rest of the plans for today?
1: Uh, he's going to connect back up with Jessica, and they've got a few more trainings at um, some of the usual. Where are you going? Cast of characters, I believe. Slightly toasted Clark Street mm-hmm. Ale House. And Am I RPL? going to slightly PM. toasted today too? Yep. <laughs> I had a feeling you might have been.
0: I'm going. <laughs> where else are we going? Barombuena.
1: I'm going to coach Little League.
0: Oh, so, I'm actually nice. doing that too. Nice.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Did you sign up or you just going to show up?
0: Uh, Yeah, just show up. Yeah. Mostly, see how it goes.
1: Uh, good luck.
0: Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. But oh. I think
1: with, with – we were talking about earlier how widespread the flavor spectrum of Amaris are and mm-hmm. how they can be in so many di- different di- directions. This is really – I really appreciate this too. Like it helps – it helps Department, you sell. Yeah, it yeah. helps make sense and departmentalize mm-hmm. sort of what's coming from where and um, the different components to it. It's pretty neat.
2: Yeah, and, and tasting these three components, everyone who then tastes the finish tomorrow afterwards tends to pick out something different from the finish tomorrow because they've got the experience already with the components. Well, we um, do that
1: part. Yeah,
2: and you know everyone everyone likes different things too. So sure. they might be searching. They're looking for different flavor components hmm. in the finish tomorrow. So yeah, let's try it.
0: Yeah, no, I always, always like. I always. You know, not being able to, both of us, Brett, not be able to go to the distillery every day of the distilleries that we work for. When you get these visual breakdowns and then also the taste of the breakdowns of what you're selling, it just enhances, I think, your arsenal of going into bars, going into restaurants and retailers to talk about the brand and really showcase it and explain what it is and and how to sell it and make sure that 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 customer you're leaving is essentially an ambassador for your program at the end of the day
1: yeah definitely helpful um appreciate ted coming in and, and showcasing oh. some of our, our 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 strongest supporters and, and giving me the, the education and it's really neat it's uh it's really cool
0: the accounts that you mentioned earlier they will absolutely love this so
2: everyone so far the reception has been great even from people who didn't know what amaro was okay. when we did this at the distillery you know we had folks who yeah. who didn't know tomorrow at all yeah. and then i explained to them you know campari is a type of amaro. Mm-hmm. these are all different ones and a lot of folks had actually tried some; they just didn't know it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My personal favorite, Maletti. I don't think I've tried that. Oh no, is that coming out of like a tall red label? Red, orange. Red, yeah, yeah, red um, letters. What orange and white label?
0: It's really nice in a floater for a highball, which okay. I think would actually work really well with your guys's whiskey and just uh, some good soda water, and then put it like a quarter ounce in there, let it just kind of filter through mm. the entire drink. Yeah,
2: I have to try that. think i have a bottle at home nice we had a lot of leftover tomorrow after doing Uh, after doing
0: i was wondering that (laughs) oh man the sweetness in the end of this is just so delicious Mm -hmm. oh it's like
1: i am pulling out a lot more of the complexity and the the multiple levels of flavor Mm -hmm. having done that as i should right compared to just tasting on its own before Mm -hmm. get a lot of
0: orange peel on it which is really i love that note so much um that citrusy taste towards the back end. There's like a fruit, the fruitiness, the fruity note, the fruit floral component, the nose I was getting on that. I'm now tasting in the middle of this. Okay. Yeah. I necessarily wasn't tasting it while drinking it by itself, but in the Amaro, I'm getting that nose inside the palate. That's cool. Yeah. Oh man. So this is great. This is what, this yeah. is what you're doing. This is working. Bravo, Sagamore. Bravo. Cheers. Take notes, Star Ward and <laughs> Castle and Key and weather hooligans that come on this podcast that represent the brands they showcase on a daily basis. Who else we got?
1: Dancing Goat. Yeah. You said who? I was said. with
0: Matt Brown yesterday.
1: He was playing guitar on American Pie songs. Oh, wow. That's what he said. Give a
0: shout out to Old Elk, maybe? I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. What's up Eric.
0: Yeah, Eric's good. Are you going to the Wisconsin Whiskey Festival?
1: I don't want to. I mean, um, I don't oh, think so. Oh,
0: oh.
1: Uh, no, I don't think I can.
0: It's been a topic of a conversation we on the podcast. About it. This is Did this we? Saturday
1: or next Saturday?
0: Oh, Brad, you know how much I drink sometimes with you? I forget. <laughs> at Will's at Will's uh, Northwoods. Did Matt
1: Brown was there the next day. I was with him. Oh, thanks.
0: Oh, no, yesterday. Oh, no, he yeah. went there the day after. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Um, a Wisconsin whiskey and a Wisconsin whiskey bar.
1: Yep. What? I would like to go, but I can't. I believe I have a conflict of interest. Yes, or mm. just conflict of time. There is He's that. You've given that show a lot of good props, so I'd like to make it eventually. But they
0: are giving me a free space to do the podcast. Oh, oh nice. nice. So yeah, I guess I can reward them that way. It's unintentional, but there you go.
1: Nice. Well, have a bottle of Sagmore. I'm, I'm for just me.
0: more excited to go see our friends at Dancing Goat and Jay Henry at the distilleries themselves. I'm doing that before. Yes, yeah. as you
1: said. Enjoy and shout out to all of them. Shout out to Joe. Pinhook. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to send the check.
0: Wow. We almost made it a whole entire podcast without mentioning (laughs) Pinhook. I am actually have a a call with Sean later today. Oh. Yeah. It all works out.
1: Tell him I said hello. Do you know him? Yeah.
0: See, so you know you <laughs>
1: don't know. <I> think so. <laughs> we, we've met a good uh, many a times. But.
0: Uh, well, tell what, what's the experience been like for your first uh, little road trip with the Sagamore?
2: It's been great, you know, talking to all different folks, you know, different levels of experience and knowledge going into it about Maro and whiskey. Yeah. yeah, it's been really enlightening to see people try something that they either know nothing about, know a little about, know a lot about, and all have really similar reactions in terms of really liking it, really being surprised, mm-hmm. and the same deal with you know, the rye itself. That's yeah. usually what we do at the distillery, we're introducing people to rye, so this has been a nice other kind of introduction. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. been really fun.
0: Yeah, I feel like Brett and I can be jaded for how much we've traveled and <laughs> presented whiskey across the country. I'm probably on the other end of the spectrum. But it's awesome that you could go see it now where, you know, Sagamore's been out in the market nearly a decade.
1: Uh, 16, so almost.
0: Oh, I thought it was like earlier than that. Anyway, um... But to see, to go into places and be like, oh yeah, I know Sagamore. Like, mm-hmm. that's heartwarming. I, yeah. I just the other day was at a bar and one of the bartenders was telling me how he was at his friend's bar and they were drinking Star Wars. And I'm like, oh man, like to hear that, it feels so good. Like, it's yeah. it's like, it's finally working all the four to five years of hard work and mm-hmm. being able to go across the country and see that, you know, your team has laid the groundwork for Sagamore to succeed in the United States and go in there and have people's ears and want to listen and hear about the brand.
2: Yeah, it is really cool, and that was the first thing I noticed when we went to uh, one of our first locations, just a bottle of Sagamore featured right there on the bar, and they were serving the Black Manhattan already, and the enthusiasm behind it and the energy was just off the charts, and it was really cool. And, you know, I'm Baltimore all the time, so I'm just in my little hole, just making the whiskey and blending it and everything. So to get out, like you said, and see people enthusiastic about it halfway across the country is super cool.
0: That's amazing. Um, I know you guys are short in time. We all are this afternoon, but... Somehow we've gone over an hour It feels like it's been five minutes But um oh, really? This is fantastic uh, Hopefully next time Ted We can maybe record At the At the distillery Brett Sure Wink wink Yeah Penny proof day
1: It's November 11th It's oh. coming up Right 12th whatever, be, whatever the Saturday
0: is I'll be Why don't you come Is that the day of the Iowa Northwestern game at Wrigley maybe you coming
1: I, I would not attend either or if i bought either you? Of those what t- if i bought you a ticket maybe. <laughs> but okay. i've already done football at wrigley oh you have yeah i went by myself when Illinois played there oh i might go by myself when i to there. go to illinois <laughs> i will i'll go where's that in iowa november 18th i think i'm bringing my kid and i are gonna go
0: i might yeah it's the, the weekend before thanksgiving mm-hmm. i might be driving through
1: all right well maybe i'll see you there okay are we going well, get tickets together oh not sure i want to introduce you to my son but i guess i already did <laughs> once no, I never met him. Yeah, we we I dropped something off. We pulled in real quick.
0: He never got out of the car.
1: Well, I, I warned him. <laughs> <laughs> not allowed. Not allowed. Oh not allowed.
0: Uh, great parenting tips by Brett Bauer. <laughs> well, uh, Ted, Brett, this is awesome. Thanks again for sharing all yeah, of thanks this. For having us. I'm glad yeah. the experience of uh, Chicago is treating you well too.
2: Yeah, it's been great. Thanks again for having us.
0: Awesome. Well, everybody out there, um, go get the tomorrow. Buy their whiskeys, and if you find the Mescatal finish, let me know. I'll buy it off of you. Yeah, let yeah. me know. <laughs> cheers, guys.
1: Cheers and cheers.